Thank you for listening to the River's Edge Church podcast. We believe God has a place for you to belong, people to be in community with, and a purpose for you to fulfill. Now let's listen to today's message. And so this morning we're going to wrap up this series back to basics. I just want to welcome everybody who's watching online this morning. So glad that you're with us and uh, want you to know that, you know what, if you have a, a prayer need or there's something going on in your life, you know what, you just jot us a note. We will pray for you, and uh, we'd be honored to just be involved in that with you. And we are way cooler in person, and so you should come and be here with us versus staying out there. Amen? Even if you're on the other side of the world, come pay us a visit. You think I'm kidding, church. Um, Josh, every once in a while, will tell me where people are watching from. I'm like, I don't even know if I know anybody in that place. And so it's pretty exciting. All right, you can open your Bibles this morning to Acts chapter 2. Verses 41 and 42 are key scripture through this series. It says, then those who gladly received his word, Jesus' word, were baptized. Actually, it's Peter's word through, Jesus' word through Peter. Were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship in breaking of bread and of prayers. We've based this whole series around this verse. What key characteristics that existed in the early church. And we've been talking uh, and this last piece of this series about prayer. And so this morning, I'm going to wrap it up with prayer. And so I'm going to pray so that I can get focused because I'm just, I'm excited to be in church today. And um, I'm, I'm feeling a little ADD and I need to like get focused. Father, right now in the name of Jesus, I just thank you for your word. I thank you for the opportunity that we get to spend together this morning. And Father, I pray that you'd be in the midst of everything that I say. And I pray, Father, this morning, hearts are open, ears are open. God, that you're going to impart things into people's lives. They're going to change and transform them. And, Father, I pray that you would, you would flow through me to them, that you would use me as a, a simple vessel to minister your goodness to them. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. So have you ever been uh, in, a, in a conversation or a situation with a group of people that um, you really didn't have an understanding of what they were talking about. Um, I, I consider myself to be fairly well-versed in a lot of topics. Um, uh, I love to read, and um, I love little obscure things that, that you know, uh, other people don't like. Like, uh, if you go to my Instagram feed, you know, if you go to, if, you, if, you're, an ins- if you're on Instagram, if you go to Instagram and you go to the little search icon, right, to like search topics, it'll actually populate stuff in there that you're actually interested in, right? That it just has an algorithm, figures it out. Well, if you do mine, two things pop up. Food, right? (laughs) Surprise, surprise, right? Food and aircraft. I I love aviation stuff. And so those two things automatically populate. And so if you want to talk about aviation, I, I can hold my own. I mean, I'm not an expert like somebody in the room, but, you know, uh, I, I, I can't hold my own. Um, and when it comes to food, oh, yeah, I'll go toe-to-toe with anybody about food and how to cook food and how to prepare food and where the best food is. I'll go toe-to-toe with you on that. And, uh, you know, gardening, I can hold my own. And There's just little places where I can hold the conversation. I feel very comfortable with it. But to reveal a lack of masculinity in one area of my life, um, there's one place in my life that I... When it comes up with a group of guys, I tend to go quiet, and that's hunting. 
hunting. Um, last time I went hunting, I was 13 years old. I was with my stepdad, Mick, who is an awesome man. Um, taught me so much of the stuff that I needed to know uh, growing up. And uh, I, I shot a quail that day. It's pretty excited. Quails are very small, hard to hit, and oh so tasty. And I know some of you look at them and go, oh, they're so cute. Yes, they are cute, and they are delicious. <laughs> and so, but uh, really, that's the extent of my hunting experience. You know, we spent all the years uh, in, the, in, in the big city, and uh, I just didn't hunt. I just didn't do it. I, lots of family members hunted. I've never, I've never gone deer hunting, and uh, I've never gone after big game. And so if, if I'm with a group of guys and they start talking about hunting, I do the biblical thing that Proverbs tells you to do, and that is to remain silent because the Proverbs tells you that even a fool is thought wise if he remains silent, so I just be quiet. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's good. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Oh, interesting. Oh, yeah. And, you know, I'm just, I realize I don't have anything to contribute to the conversation. And you know what I've realized as a pastor is a lot of times people feel the exact same way about prayer. It's one of those places I feel like, one, people don't know how to have a conversation about it, and they make it this really weird thing that doesn't have to be. And I think, too, that the devil likes to come in and tell you that you're just not effective in prayer. And so people don't really talk about prayer, and it, and it pains me when I hear about people that, that desire a prayer life, but they don't enter into a prayer life because they just don't think they can do it. So... This morning, my heart is I want to talk about, um, very personally, from my perspective of my prayer life and the way I pray and all that, about cultivating a prayer life. Because I know when I first started following Jesus, I didn't have a clue about prayer, and it was because I immersed myself around people who prayed every single Monday night that I learned how to pray. And so I just want to share with you from my heart about cultivating a life of prayer. And I kind of thought that would be a good way to end this series, don't you? Yeah. All right. So I'm going to give you lots of scriptures tonight, this morning. So hold on. Luke 5, 15 and 16. Luke 5, 15 and 16. It says, however, the report went around concerning him, Jesus, all the more. He healing people and just, you know, doing what Jesus did. And so people are starting to talk about him. And a great multitude came to him to hear and to be healed by him of their affirmities. So he himself often withdrew into the wilderness and prayed. I love it. People are putting a demand on Jesus. And in the midst of putting, having a demand put on him, he does something that I think is the hallmark of his life. He withdraws some place to pray. And actually, if you, if you read the Gospels and you just look for Jesus' prayer life, you'll see that he pulled himself away to pray often. He withdrew to pray. Jesus needed time to pray. How much more us? We need a prayer life. We need the opportunity to pull away and spend time in prayer. The other thing that I see about this is that Jesus had a habit of prayer. But you know what? You've got to start something to cultivate a habit. Right? right? I love food. I love to eat. It's kind of a habit of mine. Maybe you too. Right? 
<laughs> pizza, right? I have a habit that sometimes, really hungry, I'm getting a pizza. And I don't care where it's from, right? It could be Little Caesars. It could be Domino's. It could be Guido's. It could be Blaze. There's sometimes, it's just pizza. Why? Because I've made a habit of pizza, right? Or for you, it might be tacos, right? And really, those are two of my habits, pizza and tacos. (laughs) Janet hates it because she'll go, what do you want to eat? Mexican food? You always want Mexican food. I know, because it's good. Tacos are good. But Jesus had a habit of prayer. He had a habit. He did it enough that it became habit. And you know what? The, it's funny. The funny thing about uh, certain things that we do is the more that you do it, the more you want to do it. Right? Like working out. Okay. As you can see, I work out often. And uh, that's called a faith confession, just so you know. Um, but the interesting thing about working out is the first time you go to the gym, it's really intimidating. You don't like it much. But then you, you, you force yourself to go back, and then you force yourself to go back, and you do it for a little while, a couple of weeks, and all of a sudden, it's kind of like, hey, I, I kind of like this. I, I'm feeling less stressed. I'm sleeping better. This is good, right? And so what happens is because you get a positive result from working out, you want to do it more. And the more you do it, the more you want to do it. I mean, it's funny. You, you get a couple of weeks in, and then you get motivated. Then you get a few more weeks in, and you get even more motivated. And you want to do it more and more and more and more and more and more. And then what happens typically with me is a life event happens, and I get sidetracked for a couple of weeks. Right? And because I get sidetracked for a couple of weeks, a couple of weeks turns into a couple of months. Right? But the amazing thing is, is the more you do it, the more you want to do it. And can I tell you, with your prayer life, the more you do it, the more you're going to want to do it. I'll put it this way. You don't have a prayer life because you don't have a prayer life. You miss that. You don't have a prayer life because you don't have a prayer life. The more you pray, the more you want to pray. And the third thing that Jesus had is he had a place of prayer. It says that he withdrew. Where did he often withdraw to? To a mountaintop. Jesus had a place that he withdrew to. In Matthew 6, 6, it says this. It says, but you, when you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut the door, pray to your Father who is in secret, in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. This is a great promise. Right? He's saying you cultivate a personal prayer life, there's going to be rewards to it, which is awesome. And as I'm preparing my message, I didn't even see that. All I saw was, go into your room. Some translations say, go into your closet. Close the door, right? Is this what it means? Did God really want you to go into your closet and close the door and turn the lights off and be in there with the brooms, right? (laughs) Or the shoes, whoever you are. No, he says, go in to a place without distraction. That's what he's saying. Go in, close the door, get to a place where you're not distracted. 
the number one hindrance to my prayer life, distractions. Distractions. Actually, and honestly, it's this distraction. You ever notice, <laughs> you go to pray, and the second you go to pray, you want to check Facebook. <laughs> and after you check Facebook, you have to check Instagram. And then after you check Instagram, you have to check Snapchat. And then you have to check Twitter. And maybe I'm just talking about me. But you know what I'm saying? There's things that will distract you. Like, <laughs> I love you, but sometimes you're all a distraction. <laughs> I mean that in a good way. I mean that in a good way. Okay, if I get up at 5 a.m. before all of you, well, a couple of you are there too, but, but most of you, it's really hard for you to be a distraction to me. So if I get up early, before anybody else gets up, I get undistracted time. And so it's a good time for me to pray. Because see, if, if I get up late, you know what happens? One of you sends me a text message. Well, you don't know you're interrupting my prayer time, but you're interrupting my prayer time because my prayer time ran late because I got up late. And so what I have to do is I have to carve out times for me where I'm not distracted. I have to carve out places for me where I'm not distracted, and I have to find those. Well, guess what? The same is true with you. The same is true with you. There are places that you can go where you won't be distracted. There's things that you can lay down where you won't be distracted. A lot of times what I do is I go into my den at home and I close the door, right? And that closed door says, stay away. <laughs> Leave me alone. I hate to say it, but when the kids were little, my place of prayer was the shower. <laughs> Leave me alone. Right, you go in the bathroom, you lock the door, you're there by yourself. Mom, how come dad takes a two-hour shower? Because he's not taking a shower. He's praying in the bathroom. Okay, it was never two hours, but. But you know what I'm saying? When you have children, you have to find those places that you can carve away, that you can get away and be undistracted. Right, Jesus had a habit of going to a place where he was not distracted. We all need a place where we can pray without distraction. And for each of us, it's, that's different. But I'll tell you this, and this is why this is so important, is disrupted, dis distracted prayer is ineffective prayer. Because you really can't enter into prayer. And that's why you've got to get away from the distractions. And that's what Jesus did. And if Jesus had to get away from the distractions, how much more do we need to get away from the distractions? But it was way easier for Jesus because he climbed a mountain where nobody else would go. And we live in a day and age where wherever you go, somebody else is there with you through technology. And I'll tell you, the devil likes to distract your prayer life. That cousin that you haven't heard from from three years will text you at 5 o'clock in the morning because you decide that you want to cultivate a life of prayer. And so you decide you're going to do it, and boom, it'll happen. So just keep your phone away. Do whatever it takes to get away from distraction so that you can have that time of prayer.
Luke 6, 12. It says, Now it came to pass in those days that he went out to the mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer to God. I don't know about you. I don't want to pray all night. I don't. Nighttime is for sleeping. <laughs> now, there are times when I have nights that I don't sleep. And sometimes on the nights that I don't sleep, I go, hmm, maybe I'm supposed to be praying. In fact, Janet, <laughs> I didn't sleep very good last night. And I found out this morning why I didn't sleep very good last night is because Janet was awake until 3.30. She couldn't go to sleep. She couldn't shut her brain off. And so I asked her, so 3.30 in the morning, okay, now I know why I didn't sleep all night. Um, what did you do? She goes, well, I laid here and prayed. Because I figured, well, if I'm awake, uh, there must be things I need to pray for. And so she started praying for people as they came to her mind. Okay? But I, I just want to tell you that I think praying all night is not typically very effective. Because you decide that you're going to pray all night, and then you fall asleep. Right? And some of you getting up early in the morning would be a bad time. Actually, I heard about a preacher one time that uh, he wanted to cultivate a, a life of prayer, and so uh, he kept falling asleep, so he decided, I'm going to make it really hard on myself. So he went in, and he stood on the edge of his bathtub. And he said, okay, flesh, you can fall asleep during prayer time if you want, but it's going to hurt. <laughs> and that's one of the ways he cultivated prayer, was standing on the edge of his bathtub so that his body would not go to sleep. Yeah, nuts, right? I just see that. Wham! I think you'd do it about once. And then you'd go, do I stand on the edge of the tub again? Or, yeah. But here's the deal. This scripture shows us that Jesus made time for prayer. And if you want to cultivate a thriving prayer life, you're going to have to make time for prayer. And time for prayer isn't the five minutes before you run out the door to go to work. What I mean by creating a time for prayer is create space in your life for prayer where the prayer time ends not on your agenda but his agenda. See, a lot of times our prayer life doesn't get cultivated because we don't give enough time for our prayer life. Because there's times that you will enter into prayer and the time that God wants to spend with you in prayer is way longer than what you prepared for. And, and I'll tell you that it's frustrating when you're praying and you know that God's in the moment and you're like, peace out, Jesus. I got to go. It's terrible. It's a terrible feeling. So create space. Carve out a space where you can actually have some time. And if it goes longer than five minutes, you've got more than the five minutes to give. And I will tell you that as you cultivate a life of prayer, your prayer sessions will get longer. They'll get longer. Why? Because you'll actually start like, liking prayer more. And you'll become more effective. It's kind of like going back to the gym thing, right? And the first time you go to the gym, five minutes on the elliptical, you think you're going to die. <laughs> but then, if you're faithful and you cultivate a lifestyle working out, 
Next thing you know, you're doing 45 minutes and it's no big deal. Right? Okay, 30 minutes? <laughs> 20 minutes? <laughs> Do I have 10? Right? <laughs> but the thing is, is that we, you know, as you cultivate it, it's, you're going you're gonna to see it. So allow the Holy Spirit to establish parameters to your prayer life. So give him that time. Give him that time. Give him that space. You know, there's a lady that, um, that uh, I've known for quite a few year, years. Her name's Perry Lynn Schlotman. And Perry Lynn, I know you sneak in and watch once in a while. So uh, if you happen to see this, I want you to know that I love you and I miss you. And I'm so thankful for the example that you've given us. But this woman suffered the greatest loss of her life. Her husband was killed in a tragic accident. And her response to that was something that I'll never forget. She would show up to the church, and there was a, there was a prayer room that was off the auditorium in one corner. And she would show up, and she'd come to the office. She'd have this little boom box in her hand that tells you when it happened. It wasn't yesterday, right? She'd have this little boom box in her hand and a worship tape. She'd come in and say, I'm just checking in because I want you guys to know that I'm in the building. <laughs> Don't lock me in, right? I'm in the building, and I'm going to be in the prayer room praying. And this woman would come in, and you could just see the weight and the pain of everything she was enduring. And she would go into that prayer room, and she can come out hours later. In fact, I would say probably the average amount of time that she would spend in there praying was three hours. And she would come out, and you'd see her and be like, is this even the same person? Because it transformed her. Well, what was she doing? She was going into prayer and saying, I don't have parameters. God, when you're done, I'm done. And she would, she would pray for hours. And she'd do it consistently. Now, am I saying that if, to have a good prayer life, you have to pray for three hours? I'm not saying that. Please don't hear that. What I'm saying is give God some room so if he wants to spend an hour with you, that you spend the hour. Don't just carve out that little tiny piece, right? I mean, give Jesus, give the Lord more time than you give your barista. You know what I'm saying? Give God some time. Luke 22. It's kind of sharing stuff from my heart this morning. We doing okay? Luke 22, 31 and 32. It says, And the Lord said, I love this. You're going to go, Pastor, what are you getting out of this? It's really good. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. I love this. This is what we like to call the last supper, the last meal that Jesus has with his disciples. And Jesus points out to Peter, you're going to deny me. And Peter's like, no, Lord, I'm willing to die with you. And Jesus is like, yeah, no, you're not. No, you're not. But it's okay. Because I've prayed for you. And when you've returned to me, strengthen your brethren. Now, I don't know about you. I wouldn't want to hear that from Jesus. I'm sure Peter didn't want to hear it. 
But this is the thing that I see when I read this verse. Is that Jesus knew Peter's situation before Peter did. Well, how did Jesus know? Well, he was Jesus, duh, right? That's what everybody thinks. No, Jesus knew Peter's situation because Jesus had been in prayer. The reason why things didn't surprise Jesus is because Jesus spent time connected to God the Father in prayer. We like to over-supernaturalize everything about Jesus. Can I tell you? Yes. He had God in him. But he also had human flesh like you and I do. So guess what? The Bible tells us, says it this way. That he was tempted in all points like us. Or in other words, he knew everything that tempts us and pulls at us and makes us want to be stupid. He knows it all. And yet, he didn't get into any of it. Why? Because he was connected to the Father. And it wasn't just because he was the Son of the living God. It's because he spent time in prayer. Jesus had to spend time in prayer on purpose. Why else would Jesus go pray all night long? Why would he consistently pull himself away from the disciples and everything else going on to pray? He needed that time. And in that time, God would speak to him. And so he knows Peter's going to mess up. He wasn't surprised. Can I just tell you that as you cultivate a life of prayer, God will start speaking to you about the people in your life. He'll start speaking to you about your life. You'll know stuff that's going to happen before it happens. Really, Pastor? Yes, really. He'll tell you things that you couldn't know any other way. It's awesome. It's awesome. It happened to me last Saturday morning. I still regret not sending that text because that way I could prove it to everybody. Last Saturday morning, I get up. I'm in my prayer time. Two people come on my heart, Glenn and Jackie Moran. They're just on my heart. So I just started praying for them. I had no idea what I was praying exactly. I'm just praying for them. And prayed until I thought I was done. I thought, you know, I should send a text message. And then I got distracted. And I didn't. But then I see Jackie. And I tell Jackie, hey, I just want to let you know, I was praying for you, I was praying for you on Saturday morning. And she goes, oh, that's really interesting. You're praying for me Saturday morning. Saturday morning, I got up, and there was just this heaviness. Right? Isn't that what you said? There's just this heaviness. And after a couple of hours, it lifted. You know what's amazing about the God that we serve? He wants to use you to minister to the needs of other people. And part of cultivating a life of prayer is making ourselves available to minister to the needs of other people. I didn't know what she needed or Glenn needed. I just knew they were on my heart, so I took time to pray for them. We think people coming on our heart is just some random occurrence. Right? No, a lot of times it's the Spirit of God speaking to you so that you will actually take that person to prayer. Why is that important? Well, I heard it said this way one time. Prayer is important because it's as if God can only do something on the earth if we ask him. 
How would your prayers change if the only thing God could do on the earth was what you ask of him? Why else would Jesus say, pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in in heaven? Why would he say, grab a hold of what's in heaven and pull it to earth if what we pray wasn't important? So maybe we should start, uh, it's not my note, sorry guys. This, this is just a special gift for you. What if we actually started praying like the only thing God could do on the planet is this something that we asked him? What if we actually started living our life that way? All of a sudden, I don't know about you, I think I'd be praying about it a whole lot more. And I think I have a pretty crazy prayer life. I think I pray more than the average person. That's not to boast about myself, but... I do. I pray, I pray quite a bit. Sometimes, like Perry Lynn, I pray for hours. Sometimes I don't. But I like to say that most of the time I pray till I think I'm done. But you know what? There's a whole lot of things in our life that we should be praying about that we don't pray about. And he cares about everything, even the little stuff that you don't think is important. Because obviously, a heaviness on Jackie on a Saturday morning that I know nothing about was apparently important to God. Because if it wasn't, they wouldn't have been in my heart. Because, let's be honest, I'm not that smart. You're not that smart. It's just by the grace of God. So I want to say it this way. Jesus prayed for his disciples. And so he had revelation about what Peter was going to go through. What that tells me is that Jesus prayed for the people in his world. Church, we need to be praying for people in our world. That relationship at your bank that you think is insignificant, not important, you should be praying for that person. That cashier at the grocery store, you should be praying for that person. That boss that you don't like, you should be praying for that person. Prayed for a lot of bosses in the years. <laughs> you should be praying for your children. You should be praying for your parents. You should be praying. You should be praying for your children's spouses that don't exist yet. Wonder if your kids are ever going to get married. Maybe you should pray that in. Just saying. And when you're praying about people in your world, expect God to speak. Because God spoke to Jesus about Peter before Peter was ever in a place to deny him. And Jesus already had the answer. So as you're praying for the people in your world, expect an answer. Expect God to say something. Because he will. Amen? Am I getting too heavy on you? 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 and 18. Rejoice always. I like that one. Rejoice always. Be joyful always. Be happy always. It's funny, I stumbled across a a verse this week, uh, Acts 26, 2. It's just wrecked my world all week. It's actually written by the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul is getting, to appear, getting ready to appear before Agrippa. Right? He's been tormented and harassed by the Jews, and he's been arrested a bazillion times, and 
life is rough, and now he's actually getting ready to appear before Agrippa, and he's getting ready to plead his case before Agrippa in Rome. And you know what Paul says? Paul says, I think myself happy. In the New King James Version, it says, I think myself happy. Man, I've been chewing on that all week. I think myself happy. Maybe that's why I'm so, oh, today, because I've been thinking myself happy. So Paul says, rejoice always. And then he says, pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Rejoice always. In everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Yeah, we like to skip the pray without ceasing. I don't know about you, pray without ceasing seems like a big deal. But you know what? It's in our Bible. So if it's in our Bible, it's important. Paul, by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes here, pray without ceasing. I don't know about you, that sounds like a huge task. And I pray quite a bit. I think I pray more than the average person. I like prayer. But prayer without ceasing? He tells us to pray without ceasing. And I just want to help you out with this a little bit. This isn't that you pray 24-7. It's that you're always in an attitude of prayer. See, what's really great is you can pray any place, anytime. I love to pray in my car. When Janet and I first got married, I traveled about three weeks out of every month. I spent a lot of time in the car. And I think it freaked a lot of people out because I'd be praying in my car and God would show up in the car with me. And with me, when God shows up in my car, I start to cry. Okay? If you're wondering what I'm like and you're new here, uh, I cry. It's just part of it. Okay? If Jesus wept, so can I. (laughs) Bigger man than me, it's okay that I cry once in a while. But I would be in the car and I'd be driving and, (gasps) and people would be driving by going, what's wrong with that guy? You know? You ever do that? You drive down the freeway and you're looking at people as you go by? I love to do that, right? You see some of the craziest things. Some people should really be more aware of what they do when they drive. (laughs) But you know what's having that attitude that you're ready to pray at any time. And that you take those opportunities that you're given. But can I tell you that the more I pray, the more there's times that I don't know what to pray. There's times where I, I just don't, I just don't, I, I just don't know, right? I want to pray, but I don't know what to pray. So, so what do you do when you want to pray, but you don't know what to pray? Or you get confronted with a situation that seems way bigger than anything you've ever prayed for, and you have no clue how to pray for that thing. Romans 8. I'm going to read it to you out of the Passion Translation. If you've not read the Passion Translation, it is awesome. It reads a lot like the Message Translation, but on the scale of accuracy in the translation, the message is down on the, okay, this is just a guy just paraphrasing everything and making stuff up as he goes. The Passion Translation is more on the theological side and going, okay, let's make sure that this is biblically accurate. So it reads like the Message, but it is way more accurate. 
Romans 8, 26 and 27, it says this. And in a similar way, the Holy Spirit takes hold of us in our human frailty to empower us in our weakness. For example, at times we don't even know how to pray or know the best things to ask for, but the Holy Spirit rises up within us to super intercede on our behalf, pleading to God with emotional sighs too deep for words. God, the searcher of the heart, knows fully our longing, yet he also understands the desires of the Spirit because the Holy Spirit passionately pleads before God for us, his Holy One, in perfect harmony with God's plan and our destiny. Yeah, that should like be on your refrigerator. That's like a refrigerator verse. So what's my point? Is when you don't know how to pray, you pray in the Spirit. Some people call it praying in tongues. But when you don't know how to pray, you pray in the Spirit. Ephesians 6.18 says it this way, pray passionately in the Spirit as you constantly intercede with every form of prayer at all times. Pray the blessings of God upon all his believers. Again, the Passion Translation. Very solid theologically. See, we're to pray in the Spirit. We're to pray in the Spirit. When you don't know what to pray, you pray in the Spirit. Can I just tell you, we serve a big God. A God that is bigger than you and me. Right? We like to make him a little G-O-D when he's actually a big G-O-D. He's a capital G-O-D, not a lowercase G-O-D. And the world wants to continually make him smaller and smaller. Can I tell you, he's bigger than any of us even imagine. He's big enough to empower you. I was going to go here, but I'm going to go here. Can I tell you, if he's big enough to save you and set your eternal destiny, if he's big enough to heal you, if he's big enough to transform you, he's big enough to give you a supernatural connection to him that you can pray in a way that is beyond you. Can we just stop limiting him? It frustrates me. It frustrates me. We put him in this little box, and it's like, he's a big God. He's a big God. Go to the end of John. The very end of John ends like this. And all these things, I suppose, if they were written about Jesus, all the books in the world could not contain the miracles that he did. That's a paraphrase, but that's essentially what it says. Go read it. We have just a little sliver in our Bibles. Stop limiting him. It's so important we stop limiting him. Jude 20 and 21 says, But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. I love this because this is a promise for us about prayer. It says that when we pray in the Spirit, we're built up. If you study this out and you go back to all the root words like geeks like me like to do that sometimes, if you go and you break all the words down, you know what the picture that it gives you? Does anybody have rechargeable batteries at home? Right? Rechargeable batteries? We, we do really good at rechargeable batteries, and then we go to the disposables, and then we go back to, you know, anybody do that besides us? 
you take a rechargeable battery and you put it in that charger and you plug it into the socket, what it does is it charges that battery up. It fills that battery full of electrical life, right? So that it can then go do what it needs to do. If you break this scripture down, that's the picture that it's giving you. That when you pray in the spirit, it's like plugging yourself into a source spiritually that charges you up. It charges you up so much that it increases your ability to walk in love to people. You ever hear these stories of people that they forgive the unforgivable? Hmm. Good chance they practice this. See, as we pray in the Spirit, it edifies, it builds us up, it strengthens us, it increases our ability to walk in the love of God. It does all that. 1 Corinthians 14, 15. Does the clock is tell me I'm over? What is the conclusion then? I will pray with the Spirit and I will also pray with the understanding. I will sing with the Spirit and I will also sing with the understanding. I want you to know every one of these verses that I'm giving you this morning that are all penned by Paul. Just a minor character in our Bibles considering he wrote the majority of the New Testament. Probably not an important guy. Yeah, probably like the most important guy. The book of Romans, which he wrote, has been said that the book of Romans is the antithesis of all Christian doctrine, that you could throw the whole Bible away if you had the book of Romans as to all you would ever need. It's amazing. All penned by Paul. So he kind of knows what he's talking about. But he said this. He says, I will pray with the Spirit, and I will pray with the understanding. I want to tell you that in my personal prayer life, that's how I pray. I pray in the Spirit, and as I'm praying in the Spirit, I get revelation of what I'm praying for, and then I pray in my understanding. And so if you were to be, you know, if you were a fly on the wall in, in my office or at my house when I pray, what you would see is that I would pray in the spirit and then I would pray in my understanding, right? I'd pray in English. And then I would go back to praying in the spirit and I go back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. That is my prayer life. How is it that it's sustained an hour or two hours or sometimes three hours in prayer? It's because I'm back and forth between the two. Because in my natural ability, I run out really quick. God, bless my kids, bless my wife, bless this donut and this cup of coffee. Amen. Right. You know what I'm saying? We run out quick. Don't look at me like you're better than me. <laughs> Pastor, no, not us. Yes, we run out quick, don't we? But the amazing thing is, is when you pray in the Spirit and let the Holy Spirit direct your prayer, you'll find that you have an unlimited supply of prayer capacity. And you'll find that you pray about things that you never even thought of. Part of the reason why I'm frustrated that I didn't send Jackie and Glenn a text message on Saturday morning is because I do that a lot. I'll be praying, and all of a sudden I realize, oh, this person's on my heart. And then I'll pray for that person. And a lot of times God will speak to me about that person, and I'll send them a message and say, hey, I was praying this morning. You were on my heart. I feel like this is what God said. I'll send it to him. And like five minutes later, I'll get a text back going, whoa, how did you know? Well, I didn't. 
I didn't. Haven't thought about you in weeks. Okay, months. That was Jesus for you. Right? See, I find that if this is the way that I pray, going back and forth between the two, that's when my prayer life is the most effective. And what's really great is when I pray that way, God will show me things that my wife is struggling with that me, as her husband, am just too clueless to pick up. Because let's be honest, men. We, we don't pick up a lot of stuff. Right? Like if I looked at you and said, hey, man, what's your wife want for her birthday this year? Um, not a vacuum. Good. I'm glad you got that. Right? <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? And she has probably alluded to it, and we just missed it. My wife says it this way, men don't take hints. Just be direct. But the reality is, is we're just not that observant. And you know what? We're pretty self-centered. We think about us and our world more than we think about anybody else in their world. And the great thing about praying in the spirit is it will cause you to see other things outside of your world. And God will give you an opportunity to pray for those things. So just a few things on how to cultivate a prayer life. Find your place. Find your place. I love my den. I love this auditorium. Those are my places. What are your, what are your places? Set aside the distractions. Get yourself distraction-free. Allow yourself some time. Make space for prayer. Pray for those in your world. Have a continual attitude of prayer. And pray in the Spirit. And with that, let's pray. Father, I just thank you for your word this morning. Father, I pray that each of us, God, would cultivate a more If you would like more information about River's Edge Church, please visit our website at visitriversedge.com or you can follow us on Facebook or Instagram. Thank you for listening.